What's up, South Campus? I love you. Uh, hey, if you haven't felt it or heard it already, today is Nation Sunday. Uh, if you were here last week, you might have felt like we were in a little bit of a uh, commercial for a monster truck rally as the announcements were like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Where it's like, today's Vision Sunday. Next week is Nation Sunday. Three weeks is Celebration Sunday. But today is Nation Sunday. And if you were wondering, Moses did not just like start singing in tongues. Moses was singing in Korean, okay? That, that's where he's from, and it's a beautiful language. And, and, and today is not just about us singing songs in different languages and like looking at pictures of people from all over the world. Uh, we want to understand what it means for us all to say yes to what Jesus commissioned us to in Matthew 28, verse 18. And this is what it says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. We believe that this is not a command for some but a command for all. He commissioned all of us to live on mission. And if I can just really quickly echo something I said last week is that our mission as a church is birthed out of God's desire for the earth. Our mission as a church is birthed out of God's desire for the earth. And it says this in 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who, speaking of God, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people. All people. Not just people who are like us. Not just people who look like us, that sound like us, that talk like us, that vote like us. All people to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why you're going to hear a lot around here that we exist so all may no, and that desire does not stop at the borders of our city. It does not stop at the borders of our state or even our nation. Our desire echoes Revelation 7 verse 9. And it says this, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out loud in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. No matter where you live, what you do, how old you are, this great commission to see the story of God be told to all people makes it very clear to us that we all go. We all go. And I just want to stop here and just state the obvious. Some of you are like, I just got here. Where are we going? Others of you are like, I already went and I'm back now. Others of you are like, I don't want to go. Right? And some of you are thinking like, no, I think going is for them, not for me. So here's my goal for, for us today. That no matter where you are in your go, that we all leave understanding just a little bit more about how God's desire to see those around us 
come to know the grace that has saved us gets a little bit clearer. Amen? Before I go any further, I just want to pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today. We don't take that for granted. We believe that there's something here for us that's unique and special, that you have a word for us that's going to be catalytic. It's going to thrust us into a deeper revelation of who you are and your purposes for our lives. And so we're asking that you would get me out of the way and that your word would reign true and be declared loudly in this place. And everybody shouted because they're not watching golf. Amen. Amen. Some of you know this about me, but I really love art. Like, I, I really love it. I know it's hard for some of you. That's why I wore pink, because I, I, I know I can look really intimidating, but it's, just, it's a facade, all right? It's a shell. All right, I'm a big softie. Like, I'm, 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 I love poetry. I love reading old books. I, I love it. And it's, the funny thing is, is that now that's cool. As a 40-year-old dude, like, now it's like, wow, man, you're cultured. As a kid, not so much. Right, you're, you're, you, it's not really the cool thing to do. So I grew up. I, I loved even as a child going to art museums and looking at stuff, and, and thought it was just just so cool. Didn't understand any of it, but there was something about it, right, that kind of drew me in, and I was captivated. And in college, my sophomore year, I actually roomed with a dude who was an art major. Now this kind of opened me up to a whole different world of art. And in our room that we shared together was a poster of a print from an artist named Mark Rothko, okay, who's like a legend in the art game. Believe it or not, I'd never really known, heard, or seen a Rothko until this moment, and I'm just like captivated. This is super cool. And I just like decided in that moment, Roth, Mark Rothko and I are going to be boys. It's like me and Marky Mark, you know what I mean? Like I was like, this, I'm going to learn everything I can about this guy. And so I started reading books about him. I started looking at all of his paintings that I could find and books and, and looking online and trying to just learn as much as I could about this guy named Mark Rothko. It's just like, don't really do that. It's so depressing. It was so sad. So just take my word for it. He painted good stuff, but he was really a dark soul, if you will. So I had done this for like a year. I started dating my now wife, Liz. And she said, hey, let's go actually look at one for real, like in person. Now, I had never seen one in person until up to this. I'd read a ton about Mark Rothko. I'd looked at probably everything that he had done that was photographed. I had seen so much of his work, but I had never been in the same room with one of his paintings. And so we drive. We were living in Waco at the time. We drove from Waco to Dallas, the Dallas Museum of Art. We walk into this Mark Rothko exhibit. And I kid you not, like I walk in full on. I get hit with so much emotion. I don't know if this happens to anybody else. I was like, if I don't leave, like, I'm just, like, going to start spontaneously weeping. Is this, like, and so, like, I'm trying to be a cool dude at this point because I'm dating Liz. And I'm like, well, I got to go to the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I got to be out of there. Now, I'm perplexed. Why am I so affected by this? It's, it's paint on a canvas. You know what I'm saying? I had seen pictures of the paintings that were in there. Like, why in the world am I experiencing so much more than just looking at a picture? And here's the thing. There is a difference in reading about something and looking at pictures of something than experiencing something. Are you with me this morning? There's a difference in, in knowing about and experiencing something. And what I experienced that 
cold winter afternoon in Dallas, Texas, was I experienced a Mark Rothko. I didn't just read. I wasn't just reading about it. I wasn't looking at a picture of it. I walked in to it, and when I did, I realized that there was more going on than what I understood in my mind. Look, God does not want you just to know about him. God does not want you just to read about him. God doesn't want you just to intellectually understand what his mission for your life is. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to experience it, to feel it in every fiber of your being. Here's what I mean. I want you to jump in your Bible to Isaiah 6. If you have a Bible, cool. If you have an app, go there. We're going to put it on the screen if you don't have either. And when we talk about being a people that go, a going people, a people that live on mission, people that want to see what God is doing in us begin to live out of this, Isaiah 6 is not just a window into heaven. Isaiah 6 is a roadmap. And that's understanding how we live on mission. Isaiah 6, we're going to start in verse 1. says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, Hear me, every yes in us starts when God encounters us. Every yes in our lives that leads us towards him starts when we encounter him. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. Mission starts with adoration. Mission starts with adoration. Even the desire to live on mission is birthed not by a compelling message, not by like a bunch of statistics about what's happening around us or what's going on in the world. No, mission is birthed in us when we adore him. So my question is, do we adore him? Do we? Do we adore him? Do we look at him? Do we, do we see him? Do we love him? Do we chase after him? Look, because the space between what God has said, which is go and make disciples of all nations, this great commission, and what we're experiencing here on the earth, to live on mission in the midst of the chaos, that tension in the middle is called living by faith. And we're, we're called to, as, as people of God, as Jesus followers, to not live by sight, but to live by faith. And maybe you felt this in your life, like your, your personal life. I, I mean, I remember when my brother was not walking with God, I start praying for him. God, would you save him? Would you rescue him from himself? And in that moment, I, I just became alive and I got scriptures and promises that I was holding on to that the will of God for my brother's life was not that he would reject the gospel and spend eternity in hell. That the will of God for my brother's life was that he would come to know the saving truth of who Jesus was. But then I would see how my brother was living 
I would experience the conversations that I was having with him in the space between the promise of what God was speaking to me and the practical place that I was living was far. Do you have an area of your life like that? Where you have a promise, something that you're desiring, maybe even a God desire that he has put in you. But what you're experiencing is completely different than what God has spoken to you to believe for. And that tension is living by faith. Jump with me to Genesis 15. We're just going to be here for a minute, but I want you to see this. Genesis 15 is right in the middle of one of the central stories in all of the Bible. And this is the story of a man named Abram who would become named Abraham. And, and, and what happens is that God calls this man Abram and he says that out of you, the whole world is going to be blessed. How would you say that's a good word? Right? That is a really, really, really good word. Like God interrupts him and says, hey, look, out of you, everything's going to be better on the earth. All the trouble through you, all better. But yet nothing changes in his life. There is zero shift in his favor. There is, there is zero promotion in his practical situation. There's no change in his personal life. But he has this promise that he's called to believe for and to lean into and be obedient on behalf of. Yet where he's living in his life looks nothing like the promise that God had spoken to him. In Genesis 15, God speaks to him and basically says, look, this dude's trying to give you a bunch of money. Don't take it. What? Like, and so he is obedient, and he leaves all of this inheritance and follows the promise of what God had for him. So not only is his life not lining up with what it felt like God said was going to line up, now he has just turned down a promotion because he's being obedient to this God who promised him something that he's not seeing. How many of you have been in a situation where you know God told you not to take that job that was going to pay you more money? Kevin raised his hand. What job was that? <laughs> Kevin's my son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, take it, bro. Take the job. This word is not for you. So look, how many of you know that sometimes when we're being obedient to what God has called us to do, that in the natural world, our obedience can look like foolishness. You know that God has told you not to go to that place, but you also know that if you went to that place in the world... It would look like a good idea. But your spirit is telling you something different than what your flesh is. This is the tension that Abram in this point in the story, Genesis 15, is feeling. God had called him to do something amazing, but there was nothing amazing happening. And yet now he is rejecting a promotion and he is discouraged, he's frustrated, he doesn't understand. And then God speaks to him in Genesis 15, and he says this, Do not be afraid, Abram. Don't be afraid. Should we be afraid? No. Amen. That was added for 
It feels more spiritual, right? Um, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Hey, can you just give me that other mic, Chris? Don't be afraid. <laughs> What's going on? What's happening? We're just going to keep charging. We're charging on, man. Just turn it down, maybe. Maybe we just don't need to be as loud. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I want you to see this. The reward for Abram was not seeing what God had promised him. The reward for Abram was seeing the one who made the promise. This is huge. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. If you're in a season where the tension of where you are and what you feel like God has said is pulling you towards discouragement or frustration, you need to take your eyes off of the promise and put it on the person who made the promise. Adoration always comes before mission. And it's adoration that fuels the mission. Isaiah 6 goes on and it says this. Above him were seraphim. Above God. Remember verse 1. I saw the Lord. I saw him. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces. And with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Now look at verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Worship moves stuff. I wish we would really get this because I think we have dumbed worship down to like the warm up at church. Like some awkward Christian karaoke where we put words up on the screen. We got some people, we sing some songs, and then we get into what really matters, which is the reading of the word of God. Hear me, I love the Bible. If you go to this church, you know that I'm avid preacher of the Bible. But worship is not the warm-up. And worship does not end when the song ends. There is no biblical proof that angels' worship is stronger than ours. Are you hearing me? There is no idea in scripture that the angels have some sort of power in their voices to shake stuff with their worship that we don't have. Actually, there's more biblical evidence to understand that we're to bring heaven to earth. So what's going on in heaven has been made through the Holy Spirit. We have access to that to be able to see what's happening there happen here. So if their worship is shaking stuff there, what is our worship doing down here? We might not always see the shaking. We we might not see things rumbling, but when we're worshiping, things are happening. I've said this a lot of times, but our praise is a problem for our problems. Your problems should get nervous when you start worshiping. 
relationships that are falling apart should start to tremble when you start worshiping over that stuff. Because when we worship, things move, stuff shakes. Man, if I just had a couple of people that understood that worship really mattered, I think we'd begin to see some things change in our city. If we worship understanding like all the injustice, all the pain, all the horrible things that are going on right now, that we could just be like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is filled with your glory. And, and when we say that, we're understanding those are not just words, those are weapons. That they are, they are penetrating darkness, that they are shifting the foundations of what, of what the world has built so that heaven can invade earth. Worship matters. When, when, when the sound of our voice is ringing true with the truth of who God is, walls begin to shake, barriers begin to break, healing begins to happen, and depression begins to shift. That's what happens when we worship. This is why we want you to worship on your own, not just here, but in your car, at your house. Why? Because worship moves stuff. It shifts things. Verse 5. Woe to me. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Holiness comes when we worship. This is not a trendy message right now. We all want to define our truth and define what's right and what's wrong and justify our behavior. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, the plumb line has been set. It is Jesus, his righteousness, his goodness, his word. That is the standard. And we all fall short. And what worship does is it reveals areas in us that have fallen short of what God has for us. Why? Because we're looking at him. We're, we're, and when you can't look at him and not then see how you don't measure up to him. Worship reveals where we need him, our brokenness. Where we need his forgiveness and his grace. This is why throughout history, there is not one single move of God that does not start with the move of repentance over the people of God. Because when you adore him, you're going to begin to see him in all of his goodness and all of his glory. And just like Isaiah, when he's in this place of seeing all of who God is and all of his majesty and all of his glory, he's just like, yo! I am unclean. And actually, all my homies are unclean too. We're all in trouble. Because worship, adoration, seeing his majesty shows us 
the things in us that don't line up to him. Look, we reject this because we have Americanized the gospel. And how we've done that is we have allowed shame to enter into the story of grace. Because in our culture, we celebrate and seek out what's wrong with those around us to shame them. You see this played out in media all the time. The desire to see the mighty fall is strong. The pleasure we get in watching people's lives crumble in front of us is sickening actually. The world is built to expose and then to shame. But heaven is built to reveal, to heal. We hide parts of our story. We hide aspects of things that we're struggling with. We, we don't tell people about where we need help. Because we are afraid of the shame that's going to come. But James 5.16 says, confess your sin to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not so that you'll be ashamed. Not so that you'll be embarrassed. But so that healing can come. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Real worship reveals real brokenness so that we can receive real grace. When we worship, Psalms 22 tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. What that simply means is that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And when he does, his presence comes. What is his presence? Which presence is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, two things always happen. John 16, 8. Jesus said this. When the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he will prove or convict the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is a conviction that happens because in his presence, you're in his presence. You tracking with what I'm saying? So when you're with him, when you're adoring him, it's going to reveal what needs to shift in you. But 2 Corinthians also happens. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. The way of the world is to expose and shame, but the way of God is to reveal to heal. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. Then we come to Isaiah 6, verse 8. Some, some of you are like, dude, Griff, it's already 10 o'clock. You've been preaching for 25 minutes. It's Nation Sunday. You haven't said nothing about the nations. You want to know why? Because look at all that happened in Isaiah's life before we get to the go message. Isaiah 6, verse 8 says this. Then I heard a voice 
I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. So much happens in his life before there is a go in his spirit. So much happens in him before that response of here I am, send me, bubbles out of him. Why? Because adoration always comes before mission. And hear me. Adoration is what's going to keep you on mission. Adoration always comes before mission. We have to encounter him before we'll consider doing anything for him. But it is adoration that also then keeps us on mission. Adoration is the catalyst of the go that is within us. But it is adoration that keeps us going. This is why we have a rhythm around here that you probably could tell to me, which I, I hope you can. It's a rhythm for life, a rhythm for growth in God here at Antioch, and we call it what? The steps. It was discouraging. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. I'm going to assume everybody online is like shouting right now, and the North Campus already knows. They're just like, yes. Our rhythm for growth around here is called what? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And our first step is encounter. Why? Because nothing matters if you don't encounter him. Nothing matters if you don't encounter him. It's, it's, your, your life is not going to get better because you will it to get better. Your marriage is not going to get restored because you hope it's going to get restored. You're not all of a sudden going to be filled with compassion for people that you hate just because one day you wake up and you're just like, oh, I love you now. It doesn't happen. Change happens in us when we encounter the God who created us. That's when transformation happens. So when we're talking about, man, I want to grow in God, I want to move forward in my life, it all starts with encountering who he is. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go. He sent them after he had spent three years with them. Why? Because adoration always comes before mission. Encounter, encountering him is our fuel. So yeah, around here you're going to hear a lot, man. We are people that live on mission. But that mission is actually an invitation. Because listen again to the great commission of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you. The great commission is an invitation not to do things for God, but to live life with God. So you've encountered him. You've seen him. You've experienced the glory of all of who he is, his majesty and his grace. 
And just like Isaiah, there is a yes in you. There's a here I am, send me. I want to see you do something on UT campus, God. I want to see you do something in my workplace, God. I want, I want to see things change in my neighborhood, God. I want to see Austin become all that you've created it to be, God. I want to see America worship the one true God. I want to see thine home nation experience the fullness of who you are, God. So then how do we go? We have a yes, a here I am. Send me is in us because we've encountered the fullness of who God is and what he has for us. So how do we Go. Well, around here we say that we want to go locally and we want to go globally. We want to go locally. How do we go locally? Well, we bless our neighbors. We live to bless everyone. What does that mean? Well, that means what? Right? We begin to pray for them. We listen to their stories. We encourage them. We serve them. And we share Jesus with them. And we've got these really cool pamphlets because we want you to bless your neighbors on Halloween. And so as you leave, you're going to get these little things where you're, it's like really simple tool on how you can do that, how you can live on mission, how you can have a go, a yes, here I am, send me right here in a couple of weeks on how you can bless your neighbors. And so very simply, how do we live on mission here? Man, we live with a yes to see the kingdom of heaven live through us. How do we do that practically? We bless Everyone. So how in the world then do we go globally? What does that mean? As I said last week, we are the second largest sending church in the Antioch movement behind Antioch Waco. In the next three years, we will double the amount of people that we have working, living, and sharing outside of the United States of America. We have a call on us as a people to not just see the city of Austin change for the glory of God, but to see the whole earth changed for the glory of God. And so how do we do that? That is a big, the world is big and the process can feel daunting. But what we've done is that we have created actually Chris Paget, our global director who has the greatest title in the church. What a rad title, dude. Like on his cards, like Chris Paget, global director. You know? That's like, mine just says like leader. Right? Actually, I think mine just says Jamie, actually. <laughs> global director created what we call is our pipeline to the nations. Pipeline to the nations, which is the process from how you go from sitting in here to serving out there and it's not an easy journey because it's not an easy job okay but that pipeline to the nations you can get all the some of you are like man my go is not just for here but it's also for there at the end of the service you can go we've got some stuff set up outside in the lobby you can go and see experience and walk through man this is what the pipeline of the nations is like here's step one here's step two here's step three here's the process here's the journey where that yes can actually turn into some traction in your life but going globally is not for some I would actually say it's for all of us because the great commission did not like divide it up Jesus didn't say okay so I'm commissioning some of you to go into all the nations of the earth preaching the gospel baptizing them telling them about who I am no he says go 
So there is a way for us to go, all of us, regardless of our age, gifting, or even our desires. And we've broken it down to our global go in three specific lanes. One is to pray, and one is to give, and the last actually is to go. We want you to pray, not just for the people that are already serving in the nations, but we want you to begin to pray for the nations. We want you to begin to pray and say, God, man, you, you might not even know much about the nation. Something I did in college was I look, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pray for the nation that made my shirt. And that's how I started praying for the nation. So, like, when I would get dressed in the morning, this is, like, really spiritual, right? When I'd get dressed in the morning, I would, like, put my, I, the reminder would be, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to pray for the nations. I'm getting dressed. Okay, cool. And I would look at, like, my shirt was made in Taiwan. God, I'm asking right now for that nation to experience your goodness and your glory and your grace. Lord, I want every Taiwanese person to have a dream of your glory right now. Lord, whatever they're doing, let them experience you and let them encounter a Jesus follower so they can understand who you are. That's how it starts, by just starting to pray, we have to pray, right? Because our, our, our adoration is what fuels our go. Adoration comes before mission. We got to encounter him, his heart for them before we even consider going to them. So we pray and then we give. Yes, give. Man, put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. We have so many people that are living and working and serving overseas. Man, you know what? I've found that where I put my money, my prayers follow. Even if it's just like five bucks. It's like, man, I'm going to give to one of our long-term workers that are serving overseas. And I'm going to, that's, every time I see that withdrawal happen out of my checking account, that's going to remind me, that's right. We're a giving. We're a praying. We're a going people. And I'm, I'm going to start praying for them wherever they're serving. Man, we give. We don't just give of our resources, but we give of our time. We serve. We, we're generous with everything. But yes, we also go. We go both long-term and short-term. Some of you are like, dude, I don't want to go. That's totally cool. But, but, but others of you are like, man, I'm interested in going. Maybe a great first step for you would be going on our impact trip this summer that we're doing as a church. We're going to be going to Tijuana, uh, Mexico. It's going to be an incredible time. We still doing that, Pastor Chris? We're going, to Tijuana, we're going to Tijuana, Mexico. It's going to be an incredible time. Right? Because I want everybody to go. Even if you're going for one week, I want you to go. Because you, when you go, you're never the same. You're never the same, man. You see what you have differently. You see other people differently. Why? Because you step from your American worldview and you start seeing a global worldview. And when you do that, you realize, man, there are more people on the earth than just the people in my neighborhood. And there are bigger issues than my neighbor not putting their trash cans where they're supposed to go. Can I get an amen? If I get one more letter from my HOA, I'm just going to mail them a Bible. What in the heck, dude? No one freaking cares. But that's the stuff we obsess about when our worldview becomes our neighborhood and not the world. The things we identify as issues and problems become at times trivial because we're not spending time looking past what's in front of us 
to the world that is around us. And that's why we want to be a people that live on mission. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We are a going people. Can you stand to your feet? This is how we're going to end today. Very simply, we are going to respond by adoring him. By looking at him. Because what God has for you is in his presence. It's not in me inspiring you into something or telling you something. What God has for you, your yes, the go that he's created for you, is going to be found in an encounter with him. It's going to be found in the power of his presence and the availability of his grace. And so we're going to end today by saying, God, would you come? Would you fall in this place? And we're going to start to adore him and just sing praises to him and just begin to say, God, we're here for you. We're here for you. So right now, just close your eyes. Lord, we adore you. Lord, you you are the God of heaven and of earth. And we say, Jesus, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You, you are the beginning and the end. You're the alpha and the omega. And God, I'm asking that right now, just as Isaiah saw you, he saw you in heaven, the, 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 the robe that filled the temple that was spilling out, your majesty and your glory and all of the, the people that were around the throne and the seraphim and the angels were worshiping you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And at that, the the walls begin to shake and the foundations begin to shift. We just say, God, would you move some mountains today? Would you move some mountains in our lives today? Would you move some mountains in our city today as we adore you and worship you? And God, would you begin to speak to us about what you have in store for us as we're looking at your face?